Yeah, when Kelly gave us our assignment last week to interact with Psalm 19, I got this really cool video from uh, John and Lori when Lori did uh, Psalm 19 in sign language. Come on down. And uh, I thought it was great. I asked them if they could come and do it for our scripture reading. Hey, and also, Lori, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit as to why that was, uh, why you chose that way to in interact. Oh, but you need to, need to tell them first. Hi. Uh, yeah, I chose to... to interact, Kelly, with, with the psalm through sign language uh, for deaf people for two reasons. One is, um, in the psalm, we have commun communication about God's glory bypasses the spoken word, just like in sign language, communication bypasses the spoken word. And the other reason I wanted to interact through sign language is there are so many rich images of God's glory in this psalm, like Piper translated, gave us a new perspective about one of those images in her drawing, and I hope that in some small way, the pictures that I draw with my hands might give you some small new perspective on those pictures too. Ready, John? Psalm 19, 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. And night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. And nothing is deprived of its warmth. That is the word of the Lord. Uh, Lord, we uh, bless you and thank you, Father. And we ask that you would bless this time now as we consider your word. May you speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this week, as it's uh, you know Black History Month, I've been reflecting on some of the really powerful uh, uh, testimonies of the black church in America. And one thing, I, this uh, particular video I saw by Dr. Anita Phillips talked about how 
uh, miraculous it really is. And I hadn't reflected on that as much. So we have like a, maybe a three or four minute clip of a much larger talk she gave that kind of reflects on, in light of what we're talking about today, um, how miraculous the black church really is. certain that God exists. 84% believe in miracles. 83% believe in angels and demons. 79% are Christians. And 55% of those believe the scripture is the absolute literal word of God. 83% attend church regularly. 47% go every single week. And of the one third, I'm sorry, of those who say they don't have a religion, I'm not really religious, a third of them still will say that they take the Bible literally. And 15% of them still go to church every week. And so even when we say we don't believe, we believe. And this is a phenomenal heritage to have of all that's going on in this country. And when I read those statistics, it got me thinking, God, how did this miracle occur? Because when you consider the history of African Americans, there's no reason for any of us to be Christians. Our faith was born out of religious persecution. Africans were enslaved and brought here, forbidden to speak their language, and so their religion was lost because they could not repeat it and pass it on. And because of the fundamentally spiritual nature of the traditional African worldview, they know that God is important to surviving. And so they took the God of those who kidnapped them and said, we will worship this God. But in the beginning, that was against the rules. Enslaved people weren't allowed to pray. They didn't want us to read the Bible. They didn't want us to be Christians because one, if you accept Jesus as your savior, that must mean you're a human being. And in order for us to keep you enslaved, we have to continue to convince ourselves and you that you're not actually human. You don't actually have a soul to be saved. No one's leading dogs or donkeys to Christ. And so why would we lead these animals that they thought they were enslaving? And so the, and the other reason why was if they start reading this, they might start thinking that they have the right to be free. And so we don't want them to be Christians. It would be dangerous to our system. Yet somehow, these peoples in a land where they recognized nothing, languages that they had to learn from scratch, lost family, lost friends, lost everything, somehow, despite the threat of 200 lashes with a whip for being caught praying, would sneak into the woods at night in hush harbors and hang soaking wet quilts in a circle to baffle the sound so they would not be heard calling Jesus. They would pray all night until it was morning to get back to would sneak back so their slave masters wouldn't know what they had been doing. They would sing and they would dance. They brought all of what Africa taught them about what you give to God as holy, your physical movement, the sound of your voice. They brought it to them at threat of death or being beaten within an inch of their life. When a prayer tradition is developed under that kind of pressure, Baby is special. It's special. 
He'd probably just rather listen to the rest of that sermon. But, uh, I think it's an incredible testimony to the God who speaks, whether we want him to or not. And uh, so it's just the miraculous way in which God can be heard. You know, we're in our series on the book of Psalms called A Playlist for the Journey. And uh, a lot of that is to try to understand that God, the Psalms is a unique text in the Bible, which God has given us to help, you know, basically as a companion to walk in our journey with God. They are in song and poetic form in order to plant them in our hearts and for, so we can chew on them and understand them and walk with them. There's almost no worship service around the world for centuries that haven't included the Psalms because it's the way we interact with God. They take the whole of biblical narrative and biblical doctrine combined with the whole of human experience put together in a poetic and song form, which is a gift from God to penetrate into our hearts. And so we say, how can we take more and more of these Psalms and make them our own? You know, ones we know we can go to and see and understand and take hold of it. Because it's really a gift from God to us in our journey. So today we're going to look at Psalm 19. Actually, the next two weeks. Psalm 19 is a phenomenal psalm. Uh, C.S. Lewis said of it, he called it the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. Psalm 19 is truly amazing. It actually goes, it's a didactic psalm. Psalms are, some are praise, laments, I think. It's a didactic meaning, it's, it's, it's a teaching poem. It's a, it never exhorts you to praise God. You know, it, it, it more teaches you. It teaches you about God, you respond to those teachings. Now, ultimately, it's trying to get you to praise God and to get everyone to praise Him. But it, its form is like a teaching. And it, form, and it kind of goes through three kind of uh, movements. You know, the, the revelation of God in creation, the revelation of the Word, and ultimately our response to it. Today we're going to talk about God's revelation and creation, then talk about how that links to the Word next week. And we'll talk also today about how the response is. And these are important themes in Scripture. So today we're going to talk about God's revelation and creation, how this is an important theme in Scripture and how it uses it, and then ultimately how we're supposed to respond to it and why I think it is an absolutely critical piece of our walk with God. I think we're grasping this thing you know, it's, it's not only saying, what's the most, what's the simplest thing you can do to really transform your walk with God or transform how you're walking with God in that moment? I think if you grasp this lesson, uh, you will see a, <laughs> one of the most amazing opportunities God gives us. So Psalm 19 begins with that amazing verse we've heard a couple times today, the heavens declare the glory of God. The word the heavens, by the way, there is not one of these um, spiritual words. You think of like in English, oh, that's heaven. Like, and it means really the skies and the expanse of the skies. And if you want to understand a lot of the Hebrew, they actually take words that have these meanings and then use them to explain these spiritual ideas. For instance, uh, the word for spirit, ruach, is the word for breath or wind. And people said, What's a, how do we understand what a spirit is? People thought, well, it, it's, it actually is very much like a breath, isn't it? it? You breathe it in, it gives you life. Or it's like wind in that it's powerful and it moves, but you can't grab it and you can't you know, hold it. That's what a spirit's like. We'll use that word for it. In the same way, the expanse of the skies, they go, what a great way of understanding where God is and where God's dwelling is. And so it's also speaking of this spiritual idea, 
heaven, the heavens. And you can see in the parallel, right? Remember in the Psalms, always look at the parallel because it oftentimes it contrasts it, it sharpens it. What's the parallel of heavens here? The skies, right? Simple word. The heavens declare the glory of God. Here's a good question for you. I'm going to call on names. Define glory of God. You're going, oh, crud. Because you're probably thinking, oh, yeah, I use that term all the time. I know what that means. What does it mean? You're like, I don't know what it means. You know about what it means. So if you feel like you know about what it means, then you're like in a good group here. Um, it's actually a good word to have a handle of because you understand this is a really important term, right? So, uh, and I actually think once you get it, you're like, oh, okay. Like, what's, uh, what's a glory hog? Like, if you're somebody in your office or a sports team who's a glory hog, what do they want? And they want glory? Yeah, they, they want praise. But praise that derives from what? Being seen. Glory hogs want to be the center of attention. They want attention. They want to be seen so that it will result in someone saying something or praising them, right? That's what a glory hog wants. And that's the heart of what glory is. Glory is something you see. It's, it, it's made visible. It drives attention, which results in praise. That's what glory is. Today, we're, some of us will be watching a Super Bowl. Me and Don. Anyone else? I don't know. But there's a, a, a glory position, right? What's the glory position? Quarterback. What does that mean? It's funny. We throw the word around. But we don't think about what it means. What it means is that people see the quarterback. And the quarterback gets attention and the quarterback gets praise if he does well. But he is seen, right? There's no glory, right? He receives no glory just by being seen and doing bad, right? It has to be, that's why glory has to result in praise. Now, a quarterback goes after the game and goes, uh, boy, you know, the offensive linemen, you know, they were, the, they were actually the reason I was able to stand up there, have the time I had. And why, what's he doing when he does that? He basically says, they don't get any glory. I'm going to give them some glory by making visible what they do so you can praise them, right? That's what the heart of the idea of glory is. You know, we're in our lives, you say, you know, I want to give glory to God. What you're saying is, listen, I want to bring attention to God and praise to God when I say that. When you say, um, I want to, you know, we're, we desire to glorify God with our lives. What are we saying? We, we want people to see the way we live our lives in such a way that they would give praise and thanks to God, essentially. That's why it's actually so depressing, isn't it? When people who claim to be Christians do things that do not give glory to God. Or they, they try to, but you're like, man, it's doing the opposite. So that's the idea here of the heavens declare the glory of God, meaning the skies out there declare God, stuff about God. The heavens themselves bring attention to God that results in praise. You can see now in the parallel what that means, right? The skies proclaim the work of his hands. The stuff God does can be seen by creation itself. Don't you love these ideas? Declare, proclaim. Very, the, all these speech words. That the heavens of things are giving a giant sermon. And you're going to see the second half, he talks about this specific revealed word. But says, this is speaking a sermon to us. Heavens are preaching at us. It says, day, day, oh gosh, what am I doing here? There we are at the PowerPoint. But, uh, 
Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night reveals knowledge. So every single day, creation's out there, and it's constantly speaking about God. The knowledge of God is being revealed every single night you're out there. It's just coming forth. It says, as, as uh, Lori said, there is no speech. There are no words. No sound is heard, but that voice is going out into the ends of the earth. Words to the very ends, right? And you can see it's space and time here, right? It's like a time, day after day, night after night, it's constant. Across space, all across the earth, no one misses it. Every single person hears it. And that's really what it gets at in that, in that last, uh, this last part of this first bit. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. And the idea, now you're back in the heavens, right? You're back in the dwelling place of God. And there, the sun right there bears testimony to the existence of God. Every single day, you watch it march across. How big it is, how small we are, how dependent we are on that. And he goes, man, it goes across. It's like a champion running its course. It's like a bridegroom that goes forth from its uh, from his uh, canopy. And the idea there is if you ever go to a wedding, right? Where's the glory, right? And it, keep in mind, um, I know nowadays we think of it's the bride. That's very modern Christian, by the way. Still in a Jewish wedding, when I have like these, I do these interfaith weddings, I go in a Jewish wedding, the man goes down the aisle also, mom and dad, bride comes down the aisle, mom and dad. Uh, the whole like bride-centric thing is very... Anyway, I don't want to talk about that. But anyway, but here, all that it says is the bridegroom. The, but the idea is, can you imagine going to a wedding and not noticing the bride or the bridegroom? No, it's the, it, is the, it is where the glory is. You know, because that's where you see it. And it's saying that is what it's like every single day with the sun bringing glory to God going across there. You can't miss it. Rises at one end, goes to the other side, and he goes, and even if you decided you wanted to miss it, even if you wanted to hunt down, if you didn't want to ignore God and look in this little place right here, still its heat touches you and it touches every single one. You cannot avoid God's action and touching it, and the heavens and creation display it. Now, as I said, this theme that God is speaking and you cannot miss it, you cannot avoid it, there's nothing hidden from, hidden from its heat, is throughout the scripture. It's actually a big part of it that God is speaking. In Psalm 104, I'm going to go look at that one, because that's also in, part of our series. Is I want you to you know, make sure Psalm 19 is in your playlist, that you know this psalm. It's a great one to go back to. And a lot of these psalms then speak to other themes. So I'm going to go hit off to 104, which is a good one. I think you can have in that one. But you know, that's one of the th ideas that will go off to other Psalms. Now, Psalm 104, do you remember Psalm 103 that we did a couple weeks ago? It said, it started with the word, bless the Lord, O my soul, and ends with bless the Lord, O my soul. So does Psalm 104. And you'll find that Psalms next to each other often interact and speak to one another and continue thoughts. And here, this was an exhortation, right? A personal exhortation to your soul, to yourself. Nothing weird about the word soul. Bless him. And remember in Psalm 103, it said, bless him, right? Forget none of his benefits, you know, who, who redeems your life from the pit, who, you know, as far as east or from the west, so far as he removed his sins from you. There's all these incredible things you should not forget. Psalm 104 then says, bless the Lord, O my soul, consider his creation. 
And I'm going to read a big patch of this because I think this is how we're supposed to take in the Psalms. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And it says, like, he makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. Uh, he's talking about the process of even water. That they give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle, plants for people to cultivate. He brings forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the human heart, oil to make their faces shine, bread that sustains the hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make, they, they, those trees, there the birds make their nests. The stork has its home and the junipers. The high mountains belong to the wide, uh, wild goats. The crags are a refuge for the hyrax. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness and it becomes night. And the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey, seek their food from God. The sun rises, they steal away. And they return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out to their work and labor to their evening. Oh, how many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. All the creatures look to you to give them food at their proper time. And it's a long reading, but understand, this is kind of how the Psalms work. You're almost supposed to be lost in the imagery, lost in the beauty, uh, to get, like, let this, like, flow into you, right? And this is all this, this is, what is this Psalm about? Just marveling at the earth we live in, marveling at the water, the animals, the plants, how all this stuff works together. And letting that, letting that marvel your heart and how you're supposed to respond Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise him. Look at the glory of God displayed in the heavens and the earth. Right. So, what does your soul hear when you think of creation, when you think of the world and all the amazing thing it is out there? You know, a small aside, if you, you know, this is not a hard argument to make with people about how amazing nature is, is it? You could probably go right home right now, flip on the TV, and you will find some show that just is, is in all of its tone, marveling, right? Marveling at creation. It's one of these amazing things you kept thinking. They used to think that we would uh, eventually discover something that would suddenly make our understanding of nature easy. And exact, it's the exact opposite. <laughs> With every new discovery, we go, wow, even more. It's even more remarkable, more amazing how it all fits together. It's complexity, it's wonder. But when you watch those shows, they don't give a lot of glory to God, do they, for that? Some do. Um, oftentimes, they'll actually give glory to creation or express it like it's a person or something like that. You know, so it's not necessary that you see this incredible glory that you direct it in the right place. You know, the scriptures, and also the scriptures don't necessarily assume it either. It says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And uh, I mean, it'd be like, you know, I think walking down the road and coming across this, you know, enormous mural that's just incredibly beautiful and complex and wonderful. And you, what's your first thought when you see that incredible mural? You stop and go, 
wow, what's the story behind that? You know, what's it mean? Who, who, who painted that? And what about if someone says to you, well, natural processes. You know, birds, droppings, the aging of the brick. You'd be like, are you in, you know. But in some ways, the scriptures aren't so much concerned that, that the person isn't like, it's not, a, this creation here in the language we've seen in 104 and 19 aren't directed towards the fool, if that makes sense. It's directed towards the people who should be meditating on that. You know, on the people who want it. it it's, it's to us, to our soul. You know, we, you know, people believe what they want to believe about that, but you, when you see it, what's, what are you supposed to tell your soul in that wonder? You know, I just have like a, three examples in Scripture of things that your soul was supposed to hear. There's many more, but just for example, in Psalm 8, you know, the, he looks at creation and says, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Because when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you've set in place, oh, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for. You know, the person, is, he sits there in wonder at creation and considers, could God actually care about me? How just stunning and humbling and amazing is God's care for us? It almost melts him down as he chews on that. In the book of Job and also Jesus, they actually use creation as a little bit of a rebuke. In the book of Job, if you remember, Job undergoes this incredible suffering and him and his buddies, and they're debating, why does this happen to us? Why am I suffering? Why is all this injustice happening to me and to the world? And they're, you know, defending God and this back and forth. And Job's like, why is this happening? And what's interesting is Job never gives him an answer. Job's answer to him is, look at creation. And it, it, a long passage of it, but just a little blip of it. He says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who shuts up the sea behind doors when it burst forth? When I fixed limits for it, set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. And he goes on and on talking about just how I am over this creation. And, what's his, and that's his answer to Job. Job's answer as to why is this happened, I don't understand. It seems unjust. All he goes, look at this. Were you, do you know how to make all this? Do you understand how all the workings go of the world? So how would you understand how I actually execute justice? Just trust me that I do. Look at the beauty and wonder of it all. And so there's a way in which he's lost with trying to figure out exactly who God is. Look at all creation. Can you figure that out? No. Okay. Now Jesus says, um, look at the birds of the air. He goes, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? He says, why do you worry about that? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spend. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow's thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
He's saying, walk off there. You know, here you are worried and thinking about your life. Just look at all this. You don't think God understands your needs? That he provides for you? All of creation is this testimony of that. So he's saying, look outside and see, you know, what God is, who we, you know, what has he done for us? I mean, for me, I remember I was sitting there, uh, I was a young believer, and I was um, really questioning the, you know, people being frivolous to make things pretty. I go, what's the point of making things pretty, right? Everything should be functional. And I remember sitting outside, and there was this incredible flower that came up, and I was looking at the incredible like extravagant beauty of that. And I thought, here today, gone tomorrow. And I thought to myself, and it was actually like, I felt like God put his finger on my heart going, I think God cares about beauty. Frivolous beauty. Beauty just for beauty's sake. You know, and the creation speaks to your heart like that. You know, you look at this whole world and go, yeah, God loves that. But I think there's a sense in which we need our call to just let creation speak to us to hear that sermon to hear that voice many times i find that i remember i used to i don't even see bob here but we used to go and do all these prayer walks frequently and we would find by walking outside and praying there was something about being outside and seeing it all that you'd feel like this your spirit just like be lifted up in praise and adoration and amazement as to who god was that creation would do that and you'd listen to it um, I love what John McGovgob said about the prayer of adoration and what it does for you. He says, the prayer of adoration in which we behold the beauty of the Lord with awe and reverence, savoring the sweetness of God's presence and the majesty of God's ways, it places us in an atmosphere of divine goodness, an atmosphere of silent communion, unclouded by anxious preoccupation with our own desires. I don't know if this resonates with you. I feel like I want to sit, because it's kind of a heavy one. You know, the prayer of adoration, which we behold the beauty of the Lord with awe and reverence, savoring the sweetness of God's presence and the majesty of God's ways. It places us in the atmosphere of divine goodness, an atmosphere of silent communion, unclouded by anxious preoccupation with our own desires. And what he's kind of saying is that you're up there when you're adoring God, lost in his goodness, there's something that just separates you from all the anxiousness of this world. And, and have you experienced this kind of thing? When you, when you sit there and you are uh, fearful or nervous or bitter about things in your life or wondering what's happening, I'm guessing in those moments, your world is quite small. Probably mentally, emotionally, and probably physically, <laughs> the space you're in. You'd be amazed in those moments right there when all that stuff's happening to you, if you go outside and take a giant breath of deep, cool, clean air. Behold the things out there. You know, look at a tree, watch a bird. And it's amazing how all that stuff, it's hard for it to exist together. I find marveling at the world and creation and being bitter towards people, it's very hard to hold those two things <laughs> in me at the exact same time. And if you realize that in some ways, you know, I don't, you don't want to listen to my sermons, that's fine. But go outside and listen to God's, you know, who is speaking to you day after day, night after night, the beauty of the wonder of who he is, uh, that you never, there is no moment when you escape the heat <laughs> or, or go away from it, that God is ever present. And, I, and, and what Psalm 104 is saying is, let it speak to your soul. 
soul, praise him. Just, it's all around you. You talk about things that are accessible to you. God's sermons are ever accessible to us. Just let them speak to our soul. Both Psalm 104 and Psalm 19 also finish with the same reflection, because I think it happens. You know, naturally, when you're out there and you're marveling at God, adoring God, thinking creation, taking in the truths he has for you, you naturally go, oh, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord. And you think of this is incredible God. What is man that he cares for us, the son of man, that he loves us? And Psalm 104 just goes, man, I'm going to, after in, in thinking about all creation, I'm going to sing to the Lord all my life. I'm going to sing praise to my God as long as I live. Oh, Lord, may my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. May that be the call of our hearts. Amen. Oh, Lord, we, uh, we are so grateful to you. Grateful for the testimony, the perpetual testimony you offer to us the unceasing sermon that this world is day after day pouring forth speech night after night showing knowledge and lord i pray that you give us ears to hear it that you tell us to oh soul go out there and behold his glory indeed the glory of the lord endures forever let us rejoice in all that you have made and done you are wondrous, O oh Lord. It's your name we pray.